Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Do y'all mind if I tell y'all a little story, a, a compassionate story? Would that be okay with you? You know, I asked for permission. It's like, well, you're going to say it anyway. But yes, I like to ask because the story about compassion, it, it's, it, it can grab you. And it goes like this. There's, there, there was this little boy who lived in a village. It's back east. And this little village was a really small community. Everybody knew each other's business. Everybody was in each other's business, good or bad. You know how that goes, right? Most did one or two families, you know, but this is a small village. And this little boy, when he was growing up, uh, he would be in school, you know, and he made, you know, the, 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 the 10 kids that were there, he made friends with all of them. But there was one girl, especially about his age, uh, they were real good friends. And then one day, he kind of had a change. One day, he kind of started developing affections. You know how young boys are. When they see a girl, maybe they like a girl. They don't know how to express it. Well, this young boy, he didn't. So what did he do? What is the best thing he knows how to do? Picks up a rock and throws it at her. That's just, you know, hey, I want to let you know you got my attention. But here's the thing. When he threw that rock and blood gashed out of her head, she threw a rock right back. So there they are, both bleeding, you know. But as they were in this this village and, and growing up, this, this young boy started to develop feelings. And he become a young teen. It progressed. Well, everybody in the village knew it. I mean, it's like, yeah, come on. And then he went to that young, that, young, that young girl at the time who was a teen also. And he declared his love for her. And that was his custom back in those days. He went to the parents' house, asked the father for permission to court his daughter. And, of course, they said yes. And they grew up through school and just, you know, just loved holding hands, doing the innocent stuff that, well, we just don't see that today, do we? And then one day, that Young teenager grew up to be a young man, and he declared his love. He was nervous, but he asked the young lady to be his bride, and she said yes, and they celebrated. And, of course, the whole village knew about it and celebrated with them. So on the wedding day, it was custom back in those times for, um, for weddings that they have a week-long wedding. They had little festivals in between. So they go from house to house, little events here and there, and it was a week-long process. The whole village did. They just had a great time. Then on the day that they were to be married, the bride and the groom were centered in the town square. And all the fellows would take the, the groom, put them on their shoulders, and all the, the ladies would do the bride and the same way, and they would go opposite ways around the town, make a circle, and come back to the center, and that's where they had their ceremony. And it was beautiful. And after the vows were exchanged and they were declared by the priest, you are married. Oh, celebration. Great times. Then the young man uh, took his new bride. And back in those days, you know, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have much. So they had to generally live with his parents. So they did an add-on addition. You know, around here we'll see double wides with additions on. Something like that. But no, they needed help. 
And so just in addition on to the house, and life was so good. Man, she would she'd be in the house. He would be out in the field. That was his occupation. And every day, about the same time, he would come around the bend and then to the home, and she would just watch him. Life was so good. And then one day, she was at the bend. <laughs> the old man comes up, and she had a little, kind of little perplexing look on her face, and she, he knows she was a little fidgety. And he went to her and said, what was going on? She said, I'm pregnant. Oh, man. He just grabbed her, hold her, swung around. And, of course, the village knew, and everybody just celebrated. Around eight months later, seven, eight months, I don't know. They had their baby. They had little Johnny. And, man, life was so good. Little Johnny was growing up. And when he got old enough, he would go out to the bin. And you know how kids are. He would hide behind a bush or you know, a rock or something like that because he knew that's where Daddy was coming. And every day he would go out there and he would jump out and say, ah, surprise Daddy. Well, Daddy's seen him a mile away. You know, little three-year-old can't be quiet. But he'd play along with him. And then he would get to the bin. Little Johnny would, ah, he'd act so surprised, put him up on his shoulders to take him into the house. It was just simple times, but beautiful. And every day, the wife would just watch and wait, and Johnny would be out there. And one day, Johnny was out there. He's just fidgety. You know how little boys are. And she notices a little bit later on in the day, and Johnny's still fidgety. And finally, he just, he come back home with his head down and said, Daddy, I don't know where Daddy is. Wife got a little concerned. About an hour later, it was a knock on the door, and it was, it was the husband. He come home, but he didn't feel good. So he had to go straight to bed. But he woke up the next morning. Seemed to feel okay, went to work just like normal. And at the end of the day, Johnny went out there, was waiting, going to surprise him again. <sighs> he waited and waited again, and Johnny still didn't come, so we went back to the house. At this time, it was almost dark. They were pretty, pretty concerned. Then they heard the knock on the door, and, oh, run to the door, but it wasn't, it wasn't the husband. It was two men that said, I'm sorry, ma'am. Your husband's not coming home tonight. As a matter of fact, he's never coming back home. He passed away in the field. And as it was customary back in those days for the wedding, so were the season of mourning and funerals. They had a week-long funeral. that The whole village mourned together. And on the day of the funeral, put the husband in a coffin, and the men of the town placed the coffin on their shoulders and went around the village. And then they would hit the east gate and would go up on top of the hill to the cemetery. And that's where she laid her husband to rest. Some time passed. Johnny was growing. The the wife, she was the widow now, was, you know, finding joy. She watched her young boy. He was doing everything exactly like her husband, his father. Oh, he'd get in trouble at school. And then he noticed a little girl. Yep, there was some rock throwing going on too. The whole village got to witness again young love. And as they grew up and he became a young man, he asked his new bride, Johnny, did. And she said yes in the whole town village. Now you kind of sense there's some excitement and some some contentment now in this widow's heart. So they, just like they did, Johnny and his wife had the week-long celebration, then the ceremony going around, and they settled in, they moved in with her. Johnny attached 
did an addition onto that house, and life was good. They would both watch Johnny go out because he did the same thing his dad did, worked out in the fields, and he'd come around the same bin, and they'd watch both of them, his wife and the mother. And then one day, the wife sees her daughter-in-law out at the bin, and she's like, oh. <laughs> she just chuckled. Johnny came up and said, hmm, what is she doing there? She had that perplexing look. She had that little fidgety. And then she looked out the window, and she saw that they were just hugging and embracing, for they were going to have a little kid too. Whole town just celebrated with them. A few months later, here come their little child. Here's her little grandbaby now. Now she's got full joy. Life is wonderful. And she would do the same thing. I'm telling you, don't take life for granted when it's the same old, same old every day. You have a routine. Your family comes home and you eat it. Don't take that for granted. Because for that widow, she loved it. She cherished it. Her life was upside down. And she would watch and Johnny would come home. And she would see her little grandson do the same thing, try to scare him. And she and the wife would watch out one day and her little grandson was out there. And Johnny, he didn't make it on time one day. About an hour later, he showed up and he didn't feel too good. They gave him a little bite to eat and he, he laid down to rest and he... He was there for about two days in the bed. He couldn't go to work. But then finally, thank God, he felt better. He went to work. But you can kind of tell at this point that this, this mother had a little, a little concern. This is a little too close to home. So she kept watching. Day after day, Johnny would come home. Following week... Little boy's out there doing it again, just like he does every day, but Johnny didn't come past the bend. The widow came to her daughter-in-law, and they prayed, and it was dark. It had been a while. Johnny still was not there, and then they got the knock at the door. <sighs> Ran to the door, but it wasn't Johnny. And just like his dad, those two men said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but Johnny's not coming home. Johnny will never be able to come home anymore. You can just imagine what is going on in the mind and the heart of this widow. Now she doesn't have a son. And now she has to go through that day again where Johnny is in the coffin. The men put him on their shoulders. They're going around the town. They're headed toward the east gate. She is behind her daughter-in-law, hold it on to Johnny, numb. They get to the east gate, expecting to hurry up and get up to the cemetery, but there's a bunch of people standing in the middle of the road. They can't get, there's such a large crowd of people, they can't get around. Now you can imagine the anguish in this mother's heart. I just want to bury my son. Just want to bury my son. Get out of the way. And then she hears a voice in the crowd that says, don't cry. And she's imagining to herself, don't cry. What do you mean? Don't cry. Do you understand what's going on? And then something miraculous happens. And as we open up in our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, this story is there. Now, I took some liberties to talk about background, but 
I want to read to you this same story because I believe that through that widow and what was going on, And with that crowd that was standing outside the gate, we need to learn a few things. So let's look at God's word real quickly. Luke chapter 7, I will be reading verse 11 through 17. So Luke chapter 7, verse 11 says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up, and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, Get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe, and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. That was the end of that story. It was a good ending, was it not? But I hope that in the few minutes I was able to tell that story, you could at least try to maybe put yourself in the situation of that widow who now had to bury her son. Life doesn't look the same when you're at that vantage point. And I'm sensitive to know there's a few of you who've been there too. But I want to give you this understanding that when Jesus comes Yes, we know he makes things better just by being there. But there's some lessons that he wanted to teach. And I think we need to hear quickly. I think we need to understand. And the title of my sermon today really is just Lessons on Compassion. Lessons on Compassion. I just have two points. I hope I get through them okay. Just have two points. They're real simple. And what I see in this text here, um, that I believe that Jesus wants us to understand, not to mention what he was teaching the crowds there. In verse 11 and 12, it says, And a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. I see point number one, when when we come to talk about compassion, compassion is always preceded by humility. Compassion is preceded by humility. What do I mean by that? Well, the crowd that was following Jesus, they were about to understand this lesson because you have to understand preceding uh, chapters in, in, uh, in Luke, uh, man, he just called his disciples in chapter 5 according to Luke's time period. He's up in in the lake area. You know where the lake area is? The Sea of Galilee. I think Luke calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. Mark or Matthew calls it Lake of Tiberias. That area. They're they're around the lake area. He's calling the disciples. Man, ministry is happening up there. Man, it's good to be around the lake. Any fishermen out here? (laughs) What? Just one? Okay. It's good to be around the lake. That's where the bass are. 
Not the small mouth. It's good to be around the lake. Ministry is rich there. But Jesus is taking his new disciples that he chose and didn't stay in the region. According to Luke, he took a different path. He had a lesson to learn right off the bat. He took the 12 that he called apostles and he wanted to show them something. Now the crowd followed. Okay, he did a few things that got their attention. They just wanted to see what was going on next. The crowd followed behind him, but I believe if we notice, there's two crowds here in this section. There's a crowd that followed Jesus, and there's a crowd that followed the widow. Just remember that. It's important to understand which crowd do you think that you would be? Would you be the Jesus crowd, or would you be following someone who is in pain? But Jesus was taking them to a funeral to show them this point in humility. I'm telling you, funerals are not places I want to be. Funerals are not places anybody wants to be. We plan for it in a will one day when da-da-da-da-da-da, I got it. But when the day comes, no one ever wants to be at a funeral. Because funerals remind us of a mortality. It really changes our perspective at that moment. You know what I mean? Funerals are times of mourning. It's not a happy time. It's not a very comfortable time. I don't want to be there either. But it's necessity. We must mourn. But as Jesus was traveling from town to town, he went out of his way to take the twelve in the crowd. He had a lesson that he wanted them to learn through humility. And I want to kind of... Uh, share some scripture passages that kind of emphasize the the need for humility, the perspective of humility. You know, Psalms 1827 says, the psalmist writes, You say the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Lord can't do much with a haughty spirit. You know what a haughty spirit is? It's, It's prideful. It's boastful. I got this. Thank you, God, for giving me this word. I got it. Oh. Man, we will learn humility one way or the other. Man, let God, let God condition your heart. Psalms 149.4 says, For the Lord takes delight in his people, and he crowns the humble with victory. The Lord loves a humble heart. He puts it up there. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the low in spirit. When he's saying on the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are you. If you are in that state, you are triumphant. Because I have a way to your heart. I can condition your heart. I can work through that. Humbleness. Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4 too, To be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble. He brings gentleness. James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scriptures say God opposes the proud. Because favor to the humble and then Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn for me. Why? Why? For I am gentle and I am humble. At heart. Our God is humble at heart. That's the heart of God. And he says, when you understand my heart, there you will find rest. But I can't teach you anything if you don't have a humble Heart, You know, some of the best lessons in my life and in our lives have been learned through humility. 
good example of that. Preacher Mike can probably tell you some, and he probably has told you many stories about Fruitland, but I went to Fruitland as well. And at that time, toward the end, your last semester, you had to go to the pit, baby. Oh, man, the pit. That's where you took everything you learned, applied your sermon outline that you began day one, fine-tuning it, turning it in, letting the red saturate that bad boy in correction, and you were to preach it. And you had 15 minutes to do it. Man, I did an introduction to what, 10? But it was a pit for a reason. It basically was to take that outline, go through that outline, and preach it before not only your classmates, not only it was Dr. Witherspoon, I believe, the professor, but before the president of the school, Mr. Kenneth Ridings. Oh, when the semester starts, you're, I think we had a class of 17, so you break up every Friday was the pit. There'd be two or three had to preach, and then they would correct and do all those things. And like a dummy, when it's my time, I asked my pastor to come. <laughs> I had it even more pressure. But no, I, I, we were sitting there one day, and there was a, uh, uh, one of our fellow students, a godly man, but I tell you what, he wasn't haughty in spirit, but man, he was confident. And, and he had a way of letting you know that he was, you know? Man, it was his day. It was his time. And, buddy, he bounced up on that, so he got up there, and I'll never forget. He got up there, he put his hands down, opened up his Bible. He said, I have been with God, and God has been with me. We all kind of looked at each other and went, uh-oh. Man, he started preaching, and it was like a machine gun. He was flawless. Man, he was, wow. Didn't have, you know, they give you a copy of the outline because, you know, the students can critique too, but I didn't need to look at the paper. I thought he was doing it. You had to do a three-pointer, sub-points, all those things, analogies, that in 15 minutes. But anyway, he was just, man, he was in it. He wasn't looking in his notes. And I knew well, one thing, boy, when you're in a pit, they tell you, don't get away from your notes. But he did. Next thing you know, you just kind of see the transition. Point number two, he was, he was like, uh-oh. You can kind of tell. We're all preacher boys. We're learning. You know, we're like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, is he lost? Mm-hmm. Because we critique each other. Man, you forgot this, that, but you saved it here. Good job. Or, ah, you know, work. We constructively wanted to help each other because we're, everyone's going to be in the pit, right? But you could just see it. Man, it's like an airplane about to crash. It's, you're witnessing a boat about to sink. It's like, oh, gosh. By the time he got to the end of that sermon and closed his Bible, he put his head down and walked off that stage. And I'll never forget the words. Man, Dr. Kenneth Rodden said, Jimmy was his name. Jimmy, two things I just want to say. I'm going to be brief. He says, son, you preached about 28 minutes. <laughs> I let it slide. But he said, if you would have come up the way you went down, you'd have been okay. Oh. What a lesson learned about humility. Sometimes we are humbled. Sometimes people humble us. Sometimes God even humbles us. He has to at times. Sometimes we are humbled by failures. But it's important to understand that humility gives us the best advantage to be able to love people. To to take those old things that we still get stuck on. 
those personality flaws and those, those, those weaknesses and be able to deal with those things. Humility could do that. It helps us to self-examine ourselves and to be objective and to be able to open up our hearts and through a humble heart be able to receive what God's correction is. But God's correction is not this. God's correction is I love you. For God disciplines those he loves, right? Humility does this. Jesus was conveying that compassion for others means so much more than just being there for someone in their time of need. The disciples, they would finally figure that out at the cross. Which brings me to my last and second points. Compassion carries a cost, verses 13 through 15. It carries a cost. And what I want us to understand about this second point is I want you to put yourself in this place because I believe that through the widow, what she went through, what her family went through, God is speaking to us today through her circumstances. The compassion that Christ had to go out of his way to meet someone who was in that state should give us the understanding that he is right here with us today. He has never left you. He will go out of his way for you. But there's a few things that I see that when we talk about compassion and the cost of it, verse 13 says the Lord saw her. The Lord saw her. So what does that mean? It can open our eyes. It can open our eyes to that understanding. The Lord sees us in the moments when we are in so much anguish, when we are so much pain, when we are at the place we never wanted to be, but we are there and we have no way out. There is no hope. We are flat on about looking up. That's when God says, I see you. Do you see me? And I will admit sometimes that's the most I ever see God is when I'm at that point. Man, when life is good, I don't see him because it is great. Life is smooth. Life is smooth. There's no bumps. Why do I need God? God says, I might have to put some bumps in the road for you to be aware of that. (laughs) I love you. I love you so much, I don't want you to walk around thinking you're the be-all, the in-all. Sometimes I got to humble you outside of what life will already do. And I know there's a few of you. I've seen some of the journeys that you've gone through. And I've seen some of the dark valleys that you had to walk. And some of you are going through it now. And I understand. And I want you to point to this this one fact. Jesus sees you, even if you don't see him. Compassion carries a cost and it opens our eyes. Not only does it open our eyes, it shows some things about what she was going through. This woman was going through extreme pain. This woman was going through excruciating loss. And this woman had an empty future. You ever been there? You ever been at that place? And being able to have the privilege to serve our nation's best Tradoc, Tradoc in the Army, you have two components. You have the training environment and then you have the mission work. 
okay? The trade-off, and then you have the mission. That's how it's broke up. When they come to school, they're in trade-off. And the current statistics in our trade-off environment is that we have every week four students committed suicide every week. Every week. And it has personally impacted me. Spoke to a Marine. I know you're a Marine. I'm in the cyber training battalion, and there's a little detachment of officers, and they're Marines. They have a chaplain, but he wasn't available. I was there. God had an appointed time. That Marine came out. I I just need to talk. Man, I got to spend two hours with, with that Marine and just going through what he was struggling with and the deep depression. And you think in, in, in times like those, hopefully, you know, I felt a little bit better because I thought, well, maybe, he, 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 you know, whatever's said and done, he, just getting it out and talking, that, that helps a lot. I gave him some material, and I said, I'm always here. But you do, you do have a chaplain, but I'm always here. Just, man, there's resources. There, there's help. Don't, you're not, you don't have to struggle alone. And three weeks later, he took his life. Extreme pain caused by excruciating loss can give you a sense of a hopeless and empty future. And man, I tell you, there's so many people living that life. And they need to be reminded, not only in word, but with action. You are not alone. Not only is there a God that loves you, there's a God that sees you, but I see you. I might not know how to love you, but I'm willing to try. And when you walk with people in their toughest times, compassion carries a cost. It will cost you something. I don't know what it is, but it will cost you something. For if it doesn't, it wasn't valuable in the first place. We can give people our pity. We can give people our concern. But compassion drives us to be able to walk and to sit with people. Job's friends, they, eh, their advice was problematic, but at least they sat with him in what he was going through. God wants us to know when it carries a cost, it can open our eyes, but not only that, it can open our arms. Look at verse, verse 14. Then he touched the coffin. Jesus was there. Jesus opened his arm. He could have spoke. Now, at the beginning of of chapter 7, that's usually where you get the highlight of everything, the faith of the centurion. You know, it's like the centurion was following God, and he sent a servant out. You know that story. He said, Jesus don't even have to come to my house. I know all he has to do is speak a word, and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, man, I have never seen such faith. And all of Israel, like I've seen in this Gentile, this Roman, this officer, that's supposed to be the enemy. But he loved his people. And Jesus healed. That usually gets the story in this chapter. But I believe that with all of that, 
Jesus can speak a word and things are healed. But sometimes when God shows up, there's a purpose and a plan for it. Sometimes God wants to get his hands on the situation. And he wants you and me to know about it. And he wants me and you to see that. Why? Because we serve a God that is compassionate. And compassion leads us to open our arms. Look in your families. You don't have to go far. Look in your families. You know that one. They've done, they've done things. They've isolated themselves. Man, their, their, their lifestyle and their choices, man, it's just, I try to tell them. But they, man, they do crazy things. I tell you what, compassion costs loving people like that. But how about those you work with? How about those who are in your little community? You know, you see them every day. You know where they are. Compassion carries a cost. It may cost you something. You may have to just get that leg up and step forward toward to love people. That Man, that addict, he is still going. Man, he's been a drunk for I don't know how long. Man, that meth lab, I know where it is. I know those people in there. I call the police on them all the time. Could you imagine loving people like that? How about that spouse of yours that lies to you all the time? It's easy. I got to. You got to. (laughs) It causes us to open our arms. Jesus opened his. Last of all, it helps us to open our hearts. Verse 15, Jesus gave him back to his mother. I believe this lesson was solely for the purpose of those 12 that he called apostles. Crowd that didn't matter. Jesus was going to gather a crowd anywhere he went. It's just the end. (laughs) The end result was a little different. Y'all know that story. But there was a crowd. But he began to show them the very beginning of his ministry. To come and to seek and to save the lost, it will cost you. Compassion comes at a price. It comes at a cost. Loving people will cost you everything. It did Jesus. But we serve a God that not only went to the cross and died, but our hope is in him because he came back to life. He was resurrected. Our faith and our hope can be resurrected. We don't follow a, a statue. We don't follow something that's inanimate, something man-made. We follow someone with compassion and saw us even while we were still sinners, died for us so that we could be alive again. If you haven't learned anything or nothing is really stuck out, I want you to understand this one fact. Helping hurting people hurts. Okay? Helping hurting people hurts. But it is worth it. It is worth it. Oh, it's easy for a family member, but for a complete stranger... But once you allow God to move in your life and to love through you, you will see something. It might cost me a lot of money. I'm out of loss, whatever. But if someone come back alive, set up in a dead coffin that they were in, it doesn't matter what I went through. 
For sometimes God is teaching me to understand to be compassionate means I mean to be there with the person in their pain going through it. I don't have to partake in sin. But I could be there to be a reminder that there's someone who could take away that sin. And when you love God, he wants you to love his people, all people. All people will experience that love when compassion is engaged. When you put it in gear. And when compassion leads God's people to take action in our communities and in our family, love will be displayed. It will. And I'll leave you with this. Because in John's gospel, Jesus wanted his disciples to know. Remember, this, this lesson was for the disciples. But his word, amen, thank God, applies to us today. But Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, he said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so you must also love one another and by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another if you love one another encourage each other to be compassionate around those that we see every day Especially the ones we haven't, we, we, we don't know how much time we have left. We don't know. And I don't want to be a doom and gloom kind of person, but I want you to understand, man, you have that nudging. The spirit, the spirit of the living God lives in you. And I believe it was uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 21. God says, you have heard these things regarding the former way of life. To place a deposit in you, my spirit, which you have heard, which you have were saved. I placed that seal in you, my spirit. And if that spirit lives in you today, and however the spirit talks to you, when you get that little nudge, when you get that little reminder, when you get that little thing that catches your eye, do not dismiss that. Because there could be a life in the balance. God is going to work Miraculous things with compassion, through compassion. Look at our world. Look at what you're doing in ministry in India. Samaritan's Purse, I got to see them in full swing. Got to work alongside with them while I was in the army. How they love people and want to help people. Christians, we are called to be like EMS. First responders, when people hurt, we don't condone sin, but we run toward it. We want to help. We want to help the lost. We want to seek them out. We want to love them with the gospel so that God can save them, so they can be with us, so they can reach someone else who's in pain. Oh, there's so much pain, but I want to give you hope today. Man, God, we sing about it. God is good, and that's why I tell you, Sorry, Mike. Sorry, praise team. Man, I, I threw a rod on that first song. I'll just be honest with you. Woo! God is good. But what does that mean in the day to day? What does that mean while I'm at work, while I'm at home, whatever? What does that mean? It means that maybe every day, come before the Lord Almighty and say, God, give me your heart. Give me the compassion to see others the way that you do. And help me not to be afraid when it costs me something. 
I don't know where you are today. I, I, maybe you are one that's struggling. I know. I, I've, I've been in a pew before. I've been in that one of those chairs before. <laughs> Listening to God's man. I've been under that man's tutelage. His preaching since, I, what, 15, 60? I don't know. There's a time or two I was so empty. Wondering what in the world is everybody clapping about? Oh my God, sending hallelujah. I've been there too. If that's you today, you don't have to be. I just want to take a, just a moment or two. I want every eye closed, every head bowed. And if you are someone that's like, you know what, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be embarrassed. I, I don't want anybody to know that I have issues. Maybe if you're a leader, if you're, I, I got it. And I don't want to do one of those things where you raise your hand up, we can get a flock of people around you. <laughs> I want to see you when no one else sees you. If there's anyone here that needs compassion, you just raise your hand. If there's someone here today who's struggling, and that you are desperate for that compassionate love that God has to offer, would you just raise your hand? If there's anybody here that knows of someone, boy, they really do need, they need God. They need His love. They need, they need to know who He is. If there's someone that you know that's like that, but for whatever reason hadn't quite struck up a conversation, or it just it's, maybe you get to that point, it's like your heart is beating, and it's just it's difficult. Will you raise your hand? Raise your hand, because I want you to understand you now are accountable before God. Yes, you know. You're not accountable before me. You're accountable before God. If you raise your hand, you know that someone is in need. They need your compassion. Would you please, when you leave this place, will you make sure, if it ain't today, if it's not tomorrow, please this week, will you reach out to that person? You just never know. I want to pray, and then Mike Dish, you come and close and do. But I want to pray. God, I just want to thank you for uh, taking 12 men out of I don't know what the crowd size was it's probably a good size crowd Lord according to scripture <laughs> especially in Luke's account the sermon on the plane you got a lot of people there there will always be crowds you drew crowds but God at the end of your life here on this earth <laughs> it was down to one Two, three, I don't, very few. But God, also with crowds, we did see an example of a crowd that followed someone who was hurting and in pain. And they took a burden, they took a coffin, and they placed their shoulder underneath that pain and that emptiness, and they were there. So God, with the examples of crowds that we see. Help us, God, to be compassionate, especially to people that are untouchable, 
those people, God, it's just, well, Lord, we know you're the only one who could touch them. Help us, God, to have the courage and the strength. Maybe we are the only reason why that person has not experienced you. I want to pray for those in the sound of my voice, God, who are who are going through difficulties. I pray that you will heal, that you will take away obstacles, but God, if your will is to keep people the way that they are and not heal, if it is to keep that mountain in front of them to see what happens, then God, may that be your will too. But help us, God, to connect with each other, to love each other. In Jesus' precious holy name, I pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.